Welcome to Screen Actors Guild, where we explore Oscar-winning actors and the embarrassing films they'd rather forget. And also welcome to part three of our three-part Jolly Old St. Nicholas series. I am Michelle, the luscious wig resting gently atop St. Nicholas's dome. And I'm Henry, the dark identical twin omniscient version of a different identical twin. Uh, this, <laughs> I'm not going to say this is the worst movie that we've watched, uh, because that honor is and will always be held by yeah. Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Yeah. But this is probably the second worst movie we've watched. Uh, it was it was not the hardest movie for me to watch. I will say it was. I, I really do feel that honor belongs to Highway. Yeah, Highway was still like the most disgusting and like just visually and verbally offensive thing that we've watched. But I I will say that mm-hmm. this was one of the worst movies with such star power. Like for what oh, it is. Yeah, this cast is stacked. I mean, it's like a ten million dollar movie, and it has. What is it? it? Has James Coburn, Nicolas Cage, Peter Fonda, Charlie Sheen is in it. There's a bunch of other people. Talia Shire's in it, although I don't know where. Huh. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Which I think they shows like it's like a Coppola family joint, right? Like it was written and oh, directed yeah. by. Is it his brother? It's his brother. So yeah, Christopher Coppola okay. is Nicholas's brother, who wrote and directed it. His other brother makes an appearance in this movie. And I was really proud of myself what? because I spotted it before I checked the credits. There's like that bar scene. Get into the plot later, but there is a bar scene where they do a minor grift. They grift the bartender oh. like for two hundred bucks, and there's he a looks guy. Looks like a Coppola. Yeah, there's a guy at the end of the bar that looks like kind of like a knockoff Nicolas Cage, and he just like, oh, who was that guy? And that's that's Mark. So all three brothers huh. in this movie. It is a family affair. So we're we're talking Deadfall, Deadfall. which is the other zero percent Nicolas Cage movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And man, does this one earn that zero mm-hmm. so much harder? Yeah, I feel like. Then uh, what the fuck yeah. is it called? What's the, the Grand Isle, <laughs> yeah. which was just mediocre. Grand Isle like got the zero percent because no one saw it. This one, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure not a lot of people sat down and watched it, but it also is like scraping the bottom of the barrel. It. This is like a noir flick that sounds like it was written by an AI. <laughs> yeah, it's put and narrated by an AI. Yeah. <laughs> it's put in the work. Uh, it's really it puts in the work to have a bad movie. Like it is doing everything aggressively wrong in every step of the game. Like both ends be- of the spectrum, beginning too. to end, bad decisions. Yeah, like. Oh, yeah. Bananas crazy, and then the most boring acting and line reading you've ever heard in your life. Just, like, dueling in every scene. Yeah, it oscillates between barely trying and trying so hard you lose your mind (laughs) watching it. It's, like, yeah. This movie, you're right, it's, it's a noir that... God, I feel like I have higher faith in AIs than this. Yeah, the dialogue the sounded like it was written by AIs because it's just like it's copy pasted from every other like mid range noir, like 40s noir movie, and it has nothing going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's everything Nicolas Cage does, which is an entirely different thing. No one could have the written The plot that. of this movie feels like. It was created with a person waking up from a dream, taking notes, falling back asleep, and doing that over a period of like two or three weeks, <laughs> and then just filming the movie. That's exactly like what it feels the, like. 
The twist of this movie is the most inexplicable, inscrutable thing. Uh, All right. So the plot of this horrible, terrible, no good, bad movie. There's... uh, so there's a con man played by Michael Bain, mm-hmm. who, is he in anything else? He looks familiar to know. me. I don't know. I forget what he's like, from. He was in, like, one of the Terminators, I think. I forget. Like, oh, he's in some, like, he also, 80s, 90s action thrillers. He has a real knockoff Mark Hamill look to him, too. Yeah, he really does. Like... He really does. Yeah, but he doesn't bring any useful knockoff Mark Hamill energy. What he brings is zero energy. What he brings But he is, plays a con man. Yeah, he's like a guy waking up from a uh, coma. Yeah, he plays a con man who's like, in the script ostensibly, like an expert con man, uh, who yeah. gets his father, James Coburn, uh, in a real, in like, a bad just for men die job. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Gets James Coburn killed, shoots him with real bullets, even though he remembers loading blanks. And then his dad says, you got to get the cake from my brother as he dies. Yeah. Uh, and so Michael Bain is, uh, then he's like depressed because he thinks he murdered his father. And as far as you know, he murdered his father. And then this like lizard man. uh <laughs> so it's like Michael Bain's on the floor with a bottle in like his underwear and this like lizardy man with the smallest ponytail in the world <laughs> sits in a suit watching him cry and like this actor who's playing this he's like tangentially related to this con job that failed yeah he's he has as far as I can tell regular length hair that <laughs> was told when he showed up to the set he needed to have a ponytail and so we just bundled up his like crew cut in the back and hoped for the best uh <laughs> I don't know why Nicolas Cage was given such permission to just go crazy with the wigs and this guy was limited to only the small amount of hairs on that tightly trimmed head. But man, I I wrote that down too with the tiniest ponytail. It's like half a thumb. (laughs) Yeah. Is that Peter Fonda? Okay. Who is Peter Fonda in this? Is Peter Fonda the diamonds guy at the end? Who's like in a gray suit and he's like, look at my diamonds. Is he the I, Bond villain? I think he's the Bond villain, but full dis- yeah, full That would make some sense. I think it is him. I think they do the big reveals at the end. There's like the Charlie Sheen scene and then there's the Peter Pifonda scene. And those are like the let's showcase some Hollywood jewels here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, think, it is. I think. It is rough. So... Christ. All right. So, so he goes to meet he up. He goes with to the, try to find the yeah. uncle. Yeah. Go on. Continue. The uncle, who is also played by James Coburn. And you only learn at that moment that his father has an identical twin <laughs> uh, who has all white hair. So you can distinguish him from the all black hair version of James yeah. Coburn. And he immediately gets involved with a grift, but he needs to work with uh, James Coburn, who is also a con man's. Uh, his, like, sidekick, his second-in-command, who is Nicolas Cage, played with (sighs) the, like, the most uncalled-for and unacceptable abandon by Nick Cage. Let's... We have to talk about this for... I don't... Like, we could spend the whole podcast (laughs) on this, which is okay. I just... Uh, 
What do we talk about first? Do we talk? Okay, I gotta talk about what he looks like real fast. This guy has a wig that looks like um, it's like a skateboarding helmet. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so form fitting. It's like um, it's like a seventies like combed and styled like um, tightly bound to the head brown wig, wrap around black sunglasses. The dirtiest little, like, the dirtiest little brown mustache you could possibly put on Nicolas Cage's face. And then, like, leisure suits. Like, many, many what? leisure suits and smoking jackets. Oh, there's so much, there's so much more here. Like, he, uh, he has, his skin is the color of, like, wet cement <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's wearing... As far as I can tell, a fake nose, but for no reason. I couldn't Nobody f- brings up his nose. He has like a point to his nose that Nicolas Cage does not I have in other movies. That out. Like it comes, it looks like a ski jump on his face. I'm gonna have to find a profile because I, I did I, I imagine that. I don't know. I mean, it's like it's hard to say because it's really early Nick Cage, right? Well, no, wait. We, we just watched. We just watched Face Off, which only came. Hot on the heels, you know, like a cool, like, four or five years after this one. And he looks, yeah, not even that, like, three years after this one. And he... Yeah, he looks, and he looks good in And that. he looks like normal, looks normal young Nick Cage, where he's, like, you know, almost kind of charming and good-looking, if you can say such a thing about Sir Nicholas. Uh, yeah, he looks bananas yeah. in this movie. He has, ter- like, wet terracotta skin, and, like, his... If we're going to call it an accent, it sounds like he is either a developmental disability or a has had a recent series of strokes, and I can't figure out what he's trying to go for. He sounds like his throat is made of sandpaper, and his teeth are wired shut, and the tip of his tongue is missing. Like, yeah. his words are completely inaudible. And then sometimes, like, most of the time, he sounds like an American man with a sandpaper throat and teeth wired shut and, and no tip of the tongue. Sometimes. Sometimes he kind of sounds like a Spanish guy pretending to be American. Like he slips yeah. into a foreign accent now and then. Willy, uh, willy-nilly. I, yeah. No rhyme or reason. Uh, I usually turn the subs on, like on a movie like this, There is you are left with no agency over that decision. If the subs aren't on, good luck. But... But I, yeah. I normally turn them <laughs> no, on anyway, and I experimented with turning them off. Just like I wonder if I could understand a fucking word he was saying if I weren't reading it <laughs> off of the screen. And the answer is, of course not. Of course not. No, we're gonna include there some are clips some dear mother of God. There are some transcriptions of things that he says. I, I've got it written down. Oh, the, the like the the breakdown that he has in the second strip club scene. That's the best. Uh, is like. All time <laughs> unbelievable Nick Cage moments. We're gonna have uh, to pop that the in. Sounds, the sounds that are paired with the words that they claim that he is saying cannot possibly be true. <laughs> it's like he decided to just make like animal noises and hope that somebody would just guess that he's angry. Because what he's saying doesn't really matter. It's just like clearly they gave him a script. 
he decided he wasn't going to say those words. He was just going to like move his lips yeah. and cheeks for a while and make <laughs> noise come out. And that would be his lines for the day. Yeah. Uh, I can't even, I didn't even think about the possibility that like, of course he's ad-libbing a ton of that scene because none of that could have been written down in advance. Given the tone and like the tenor of the rest of the film, there's no way they wrote that for him. So like, Someone's job was to transcribe it, and they were just, it was just a guy at work doing his best. <laughs> yeah, from from the moment he enters the screen, it is out of this world. So his entrance, uh, so like Michael Bain goes to L.A., somewhere on the West Coast, and is just like in a food court, uh, I guess. yeah. And with, with some other interactions that I want to talk about because they're also buck wild. But he sits down and Nicolas Cage is behind him. He makes this like impossible noise with a deck of cards. Uh, <laughs> and then he oozes up to Michael Bain like a sea cucumber dressed in Jimmy Buffett loungewear. <laughs> like he's just, you can almost feel the like slug slime underneath him. The way that he moves in that scene. And in many cases, in the rest of this movie. It's, it sticks uh, around for the rest of the movie, for sure. Ugh. Like, he... I love... So he gets... Uh, he takes Michael Bain up to meet James Coburn. And James Coburn asks Nicolas Cage to get Michael Bain a glass of water. And Nick gets the water and then holds it three inches away from Michael Bain's face to hand it to him. Like, he basically hits him in the face with a glass of water. Like, every decision makes absolutely no sense for the character or the movie or like i think nicholas cage is a good actor and he delivers one of the worst performances i have seen in a movie yes and it is the best part of the movie yes okay yeah because we i've seen i think most of the bangers like when we talk about like the most out of this world fucking batshit bananas roles that he's played like wicker man always jumps to the very top of the list because everyone's seen those clips um, Face Off, for being a really fun, pretty legitimate movie, also totally unhinged performance, this might be the worst and best that I've ever seen him. Because, like, there were no rules. There were no rules. They let him do whatever he wanted. Here's a hot piece of trivia. They let him make his own costume, and he showed up to work in that. The props department found out about it oh, later. Yes. Costume found out about it after. Yes. He showed up on set with the following items on his body. That wig, which, after you're listening to this, just do yourself a favor, Google what he looks like. That mustache, that wig, those sunglasses, and get this, albino contacts, which, did you notice that there were albino contacts? His own, he only takes uh, the glasses no. off, like, once or twice. And when he does, apparently, albino I should have been paying contacts. better attention, but those were Nicolas Cage's decisions. Wow. I gave him no direction. Wow. He got to just like, it was a choose your own adventure when it came to his role in his brother's movie and God love him for it because this is, I mean, stellar. Top notch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's out of this fucking world. Uh, so, I'm going to kick through his whole character. We got to talk about his, de I mean, every decision that he makes yes. is is buck wild, but there are, God, there are decisions that the movie makes from the beginning. Like, the, 
the soundtrack, just the opening credits soundtrack, feels like a mashup between jo- the Jaws soundtrack and the Psycho soundtrack. Like, there's just, uh, it's yeah. like strings and but up, but up. Like, it's everybody is doing the bare minimum while also trying their hardest. And except for Michael Bay, whose voiceover, he like sounds like a bored bar mitzvah boy studying his Hof Torah. Like, he's, he's not even like doing a table read. It, it sounds like a human version of the computer voice. Yeah. Uh, but but then you have... So you have him who is just made of cardboard the entire movie. And then you have all of these actors making the most bananas acting choices. The guy... At the beginning when he brings the, the guy to get the cocaine in the con. Oh. And the guy says, tell him I want a taste. And Michael Bain walks over and tells James Coburn he wants a taste. And then he brings a bag of cocaine over to this man who proceeds to stick two fingers into the bag of cocaine over and over again <laughs> and eat the cocaine with his fingers like a spoon, like sucking on the borderline pornographically or well over the borderline to a pornographic <laughs> of this like disgusting ball job of the hot man sucking this cocaine finger off and then says, I'm seeing angels, which is not how you experience cocaine. Uh, I, so I've heard. Uh, There's a lot of cocaine moments that indicate someone's only heard of cocaine. Because also, like, do you remember later when Nick Cage does cocaine in the car? And, like, it's like he sticks his nose into a little... A little bag or a little tin. And then he just breathes in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out over and over super, super fast. Oh, I don't think he's doing cocaine. I think he's doing poppers. Oh, well, then that makes a lot more sense. But he has, like, a bunch of white powder on his nose after, and so I thought this was an interpretation of him trying to do coke and no one quite having a grip. Does he have white powder? I thought thought his nose just sort of looks wet. Oh, it could be that it looked wet and I was not paying good enough attention, but I'm going to go back and check on that because I was like, huh, that's not how that works. But, you know, that's not how any of it works, to be fair. I mean... None of the acting choices make sense. None of but also some of the, the script choices don't work. Like, I mean, all the script choices don't work, but some of them are, like, so bonkers. So Michael Bain gets off the bus in Los Angeles and, like, goes up to the waitress mm-hmm. uh, behind a counter. And the waitress asks, asks him, come here often? Uh, but she she works there. Like, yeah. she's the person behind the desk. She would know. She would be the would only one that would know. if he comes here often. Yeah, yeah like, it's... <laughs> It's not a thing that you like. Nobody even thought to ask. She's not coming on to him. She has no real like reason to talk to him after that. It's just a nothing throwaway line that it doesn't make any sense. But like that's how the whole script is written. I swear to God, it's just like someone cut up a bunch of sentences and lines out of like I don't know, like eight different. Noiry, like bad B movie noiry scripts, threw them on the ground, rearranged mm-hmm. it, and then just kind of like, all right, as long as it's 90 minutes. It's, yeah. This movie is also the... incredibly boring. There are parts of it that are really <laughs> fun, is. and all of those parts end as soon as Nicolas Cage is no longer in the movie. Because, man, it feels like it goes on for a long time, even though it's just like a, a cool 98. Yeah, it's. He is. He is truly terrible in this movie, and the other parts without him are unwatchable. Yes. It's which is not the way that it should work for a movie. Oh. Like the 
the worst performance in the movie shouldn't be the best part of the movie, but it definitely, definitely is. The, like... It's the only part there's the that scene with, feels fun. Or, like, anything's happening It's the only part all. that feels fun. There, yeah. There are parts where they definitely try to make it fun. Like, uh, when they decide to just shoot a, like, Cinemax softcore porn scene Ugh. in the middle of the movie with, Ugh. like, two actors that are barely phoning in the regular acting. <laughs> and then you, like... You have them do the sex acting, which they approach with the same lack of gusto. Yeah, like, it's they're... like someone fed them a bunch of downers, like just a lot of barbiturates, like right before the scene started shooting. Because, okay, that that scene is a low light. It is dark. It is practically <laughs> silent. And it goes on forever with the maximum amount of camera angles. It looks like, yeah, early 90s <laughs> Cinemax. <laughs> But like it's a fucking it's it's a the room sex scene. Yeah. Like it has that level of cutaways to the same action in different angles. <laughs> uh, and the dialogue that leads up to it is like so Sarah Trigger, who's an actress I've never seen before or after, mm-hmm. uh, plays this like femme fatale, but who has like no I mean, she's just paper thin. Like she's tissue paper thin. Yeah. She's and, and dating kind of- Nicolas Cage. Yeah, she's kind of a good girl femme fatale because she almost immediately comes off as helpless and bad at her job, kind of, but and afraid of everybody. Uh-huh. But she's also the only female uh-huh. in this movie that gets more than two lines, so I guess she's by <coughs> default the femme fatale. She also like demonstrates no ability to read people in that scene because she'll say <laughs> she says and it's like one after the other. You're living in the past. Oh no, you're not living in the past. And I wrote down this line: "Eyes on tomorrow." Looking to score big, break a young girl's heart. Pavlo. It's, it's like, just catchphrases. <clears throat> it's just catchphrases. Eyes on tomorrow, reach for stars, break a young girl's heart. <laughs> and then, like, right before she initiates the softcore porn, she says, I don't have an Uncle Lou or a back home. I do what I do to survive. Everybody has a back home. I'm sorry. Like, you may not like it, but everybody has a back home. And I don't have an uncle. This is like a person that he just met. Like, none of it. She. None of it works. None of it makes sense. Uh, yeah, none of it works. Yeah, that scene was really gross. And we have to talk about for a second their choice to just, if you're going to do the scene and you're going to put two people that are meant to be the attractive um spark on camera at least make sure that there is at least there's got to be one light in the room there's got to be one light source in the room (laughs) that isn't that isn't moonlight that just happened to cascade in while they were filming this horrible thing in night vision and then also granny panties like had no one else ever seen a movie before she's wearing like baggy high and baggy silky granny panties and he's wearing like grody flannel boxers and the whole thing made me want to throw up he's wearing fucking circus tent boxers the entire movie as as i guess supposed to be a sexy man i do kind of respect how far they walk up to the line of showing you his dick oh my god like you get all of the creases and ridges and like you I mean, there's also some times where 
she plays pretty fast and loose with like in the middle of like a regular scene she'll just rub her hand up his crotch and like and then like just rest her hand on his stomach but it's not supposed to be sexual in the context of the scene or the movie or the dialogue like that actress just makes the choice to feel him up she maybe uh, needed to keep him over and over again i mean Like, if you ever see his eyes start to become more than half-lidded, just, like, a quick brush, that's all it takes, and then he's back in the scene. <laughs> he's a real pro. He'll just jump right back in where he left off. <laughs> it's like working with a trained animal. Like, you just need a clicker off screen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God damn. Like, and, yeah, the acting choices make no sense beginning to end. The writing choices, the, like, I guess a lot of the, like, the prop choices are dictated by the banana script, but you you go from that softcore porn scene yeah. uh, with the like the slowest the slowest grind. We have to talk about the slow grinding just really briefly. <laughs> yeah. The like the sort of fucking children's boat drifting in a light wind grinding <laughs> that she's doing. Why um, is every part of this movie so sleepy, including the one sex scene? <laughs> it's like three minutes long it's so long they like every angle like from behind like you have to see his full ass at a certain point and at like a really weird low porn angle like they they lovingly photograph this man and this woman in the most unflattering way he's like clawing at her nipples <laughs> and like it's horrifying he does he's sort of claw, like there's claw imagery throughout but he kind of Tugs at her nipples, uh-huh. uh, which is not how I think you're supposed to do it. <laughs> uh, the so then they then you cut to James Coburn's birthday, and and he has a wife that's like a 16 year old Betty Boop knockoff yeah. who talks like Betty Boop voice, and and she. He, his explanation is that she made him a, a good cup of coffee at a diner, and that was it, yep. which is great on its own. Uh, and then she brings him a birthday cake with two horses on it. <laughs> and yeah. for a while, I wondered if they were going to deal with the two horses on the cake. And then they do. And they deal with it as follows. James Coburn says, I see you put the horses on the cake. And she says, of course I put the horses on there. And then it's never revisited. Horses or anything else about it. <laughs> Why? Why? Who is like somebody told fucking Christopher Coppola that there needed to be some kind of interesting character color, but they didn't need to match onto anything else in the movie. Like no callback. Why no the horses on a birthday cake for an old man? Just a little slice of life, man. Just a little slice of that relationship <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Boy. Yeah, this movie seems like it can't decide what decade it's in either because, like, it's shot with, like, like this is 1993. We all know what kinds... 1993, movies had the ability to look good, but this looks like a night like 1978. Like, it's got just mm-hmm. that caliber mm-hmm. of, like, film stock and coloring. Mm-hmm. But it's trying to be a noir, and then some characters, like the Betty Boop, are, like, 1950s housewives... And I just don't know. I just don't know. 
No one knows. Yeah, they're they're playing around a lot uh, with uh, the costume decisions because like all of the men are dressed like the late eighties and early nineties, and all of the all of the three women are yeah. dressed like it's the fifties. Like I think Sarah Trigger wears an exact Marilyn Monroe dress at she one does, point yeah. that they also never reference. Like nope. it, they just put it on her, and then she talks about taking it off of her, and that's the only thing that comes up about the dress. Yeah. Uh, and the like, and it, you got to figure they just rented out a strip club for a couple of days a motel to and film a strip as club. many scenes as they could in it. Yeah. Uh, that strip club, by the so, way. So like Nicholas. Yeah. That strip club had like a middle school dance level amount of like liquid nitrogen just all over the stage like it was like a (laughs) like a like a swamp thing set level of fake smoke just all over that stage i am i've never encountered granted i haven't been in like a crazy amount of strip clubs but i don't think i've ever encountered like a smoke machine and just dry ice absolutely everywhere that's so hazardous you also need to have like space for it, and they're not don't tend to have a ton of space. Also, the you get a couple of I mean, all the costume decisions are weird. You get a couple of strippers in this, yeah. and the one that you that they introduced the strip club in is like is wearing this weird looks like the outfit that Sean Connery wears in Zardoz, yeah. kind of that's just like straps that just expose her breasts. And only now am I thinking like, how did that? Because there's usually a progression. For a stripper. Yeah. Uh, where, like, things are removed. But, like, how do you... Are there just, like... Are there patches that are pulled off? Because, like, there's... Maybe there's some kind of, like... like when It you doesn't have, work. Like a, like a release button or something, like a nursing bra. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I was oh. thinking about that, and, too. I Like, that is tight and made of pleather. And there's no way it has any room to be, like moved her off or on her body on stage. So there's not a lot of stripping going on. There's a lot of her, like, twirling and doing, like, awkward little dance moves all around this extremely smoky floor while people just kind of watch her boobies bounce around. And like, I don't think that anyone's mm-hmm. been in a strip club who made this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff. Despite or definitely deciding to make most of the movie in a strip club, uh, there's also a character... Named the baby, yeah, uh, who's like a large, a large, like you know, corpulent black man, uh, who his only real purpose is, I guess, to kind of be intimidating to Nicolas Cage and not to Michael Bain. And Nicolas Cage does at some point say, "Time to kiss the baby friend." Wah. Wah. which is I like that. That was a high point for me. Yeah, uh, anything involving the like, baby was a high point. Why? For me. Yeah, the baby was great. Uh, why he's called the baby is remains confusing for me. It's, like, I know you don't have to explain everything in the movie, but you should explain something he's, in the movie. He's a big guy. He's a big, round guy. And he's not wearing a, really a shirt. He's wearing kind of a vest over his big, shiny, bare body. So I'm guessing, like, there's mm-hmm. some amount of fatness that contributes to him being called the baby. And also, at a certain point, he says, lollipop. And the girl says, which flavor? And, he's, and, she, and he says, cherry, you know me. And then he's just sitting there in a strip club sucking on a lollipop, which I thought was, that was a highlight. Oh, it might be the lollipop that makes him the baby. That would make some sense. Uh, he likes, he likes so, his baba. So should we, 
I, I would like to talk about the the second strip club scene. Yes, the one with uh, the meltdown. The one with the meltdown. So I have a, I have six bullet points of how this goes down. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I actually don't remember what triggers the 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 freakout. The baby comes up and says something to Nicolas Cage. Okay, I can uh, I can fill this in. Yes, yes, please. please. It, it, well, it's it's ultimately triggered because basically the the baby has owed Nicholas he's owed Lou, Nick Cage's boss. He's owed him $1500. It's all these small stakes amounts of money, which make this movie way <laughs> sadder. It's like they do a grift for a cool like 200 bucks and then you're like this guy owes $1500. <laughs> like it's just such a like like someone just <laughs> they grift a what? <laughs> yeah. They grift a bartender. Yeah. Such a small amount of money. But so he's owed Lou $1,500 forever. And Nicolas Cage has been trying to get it from him. And then in a prior scene, uh, Michael Bain's character goes and talks to him, walks out of the club with them shaking hands, and uh, hands Nick Cage, or shows Nick Cage 1500 bucks. like, look, I finally got it from him. All it took was one conversation. So then later, Nick Cage goes back into the bar, talks to the baby, and says something alluding to, like, oh, he finally got that money from you. And he's like, I didn't pay him shit. And so basically, like, Nick Cage figures out that Michael Bain just said, I'll foot the $1,500 bill to play a trick. And all you have to That's do is right. shake my hand. That's right. Yeah. And then That's he loses right. his fucking so, mind because he thinks his job is in danger. He loses his mind, which is correct. Uh, so he screams, the closed captions tell me, he screams, what the fuck are you talking about? What comes out of his mouth is, fuck a tamabit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, fuck a tamabit! Uh, and then, with the posture of a silverback gorilla, he yells, fuckers, fuckers. But it comes out, and this is also closed caption, comes out, aga, aga! <laughs> uh, there's no F in what he says. And then he grabs a drink off of a guy's table and yells again, what the fuck are you talking? Or well, he says, what the fuck are you looking at? But it comes out as, fagoat. Uh, <laughs> and then he throws the drink in the guy's face and he smashes it on the ground. And then he stands up and spreads his arms wide like Jesus and screams fuck for, I timed it, five full seconds. Yes. Which is genuinely impressive. Uh, he then bumps into a guy who says, watch it, pal, as a person should, to which Nick screams, so you want to fuck, huh? <laughs> yeah, he says and that a lot. <laughs> he does. Uh, he knees him in the stomach, uh, and then throws him to the ground and yells, hi, fucking ya, and punches him multiple times and then exit the screen. And it is an extraordinary... I don't know if it was 30 seconds or four minutes. Like, it's sort of a time vortex, yeah. that scene. Yep. Uh, but, like, every decision is wrong, but in the absolute best possible way. Oh, it's such a uh, ride. It's so fun to watch. Somebody's after your job, boy. <laughs> I bet he even stole your woman. Get out of my back! Get out! Watch it now. 
Also, little Easter egg, and there's a guy in the background as he's screaming fuck for like at least a full five seconds. There's a guy sitting directly behind him in a black shirt that says in giant white print, just the word fuck. (laughs) 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 What? There's a dude in a leather jacket, plain as day, very clearly photographed right behind Nicolas Cage over his like left shoulder. And it's just a big giant guy with a big black shirt that says fuck in giant white print was it so he didn't forget his line (laughs) yeah so what is with the nicholas cage you wanna fuck thing that he yells to different men as he tries to beat them to death uh many men yeah three different times at least right yeah it it's not it's not a thing that I think you say when you're fighting. No. You want to fuck, let's fuck. Let's go get, let's go fuck. And it's like, (laughs) he says it, he says it in the club. He says it when he's beating the shit out of a guy in an alley. And then he says it again when he uh, ultimately gets his face shoved in a boiling vat of oil. Which, dear God. The the freak, so the alley scene I want to talk about for a couple of reasons. Uh, (laughs) The first is... You, so the, the, there's a guy that's following, suddenly following Nicolas Cage, uh, but who yeah. starts to be following Michael Bain, who has this, like, insane fake beard. I'm glad that it's revealed to be a fake beard because it was so obviously a fake beard. But then he, he comes up to uh, to strangle Nicolas Cage, and he says the following line, Hey, Mr. Rock and Roll, let's wiggle and dance as he tries to murder <laughs> Nicolas Cage. Wiggly. Uh, <laughs> also, Mr. Rock and Roll. Like, there's nothing about Nicolas Cage that screams rock and roll. Also, Wiggle and Dance no. is just an incredible... Like, that's kind of a fun thing to say before you kill somebody just because it's so demeaning. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's cute, too. Yeah, yeah and then Nicolas Cage <laughs> asks him to fuck to and then stabs him in the chest. Uh <laughs> There's a lot of ways that that scene could have just ended with two grown men tickling and kissing each other, and it would have made absolutely as much sense. <laughs> just wiggling and fucking. Let's um, wiggle and dance. Yep, let's fuck. And then it's just like, I don't know, an endearing 30-second scene of two people showing each other affection in an alley. Or, like, or say, a three-minute poorly lit sex scene. You don't have to have just <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, a good movie yeah, has at least three. Uh, Go for broke if you're going to do it at all, I say. Yeah. I, so, uh, we, so this, that's then immediately followed up with, like, the most intense Nicolas Cage meltdown I think ever recorded on screen. I also transcribed it word for word, but I want to step back to just sort of, like, hear how you experienced that scene. That scene had a lot of things going on in it. One is... The fact that you absolutely have to have the captions on to feel to hear actual words, because mm-hmm. otherwise what you're going to hear is guttural sounds that does sound like a man who's had his jaw wired shut and his tongue partially cut off. Um, 
he's like out of focus in the foreground in a lot of those shots, mm-hmm. just yelling stuff into a poorly, like it's a, a mic that seems too far away. So there's a lot going on already with the production value of this scene that reads to me like they could have done a better job, but he didn't have two takes in him. And then he absolutely loses his mind doing this cry where he's crying and screaming and his tongue is almost completely out all at the same time. And it is just chef's kiss. He looks like a pug trying to lick milk off of a window when he does that. Like, (laughs) it's so flat. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there's the, like, well-captured, he comes in, spreads his arms wide, kind of flexes, and says, raw, someone tried to kill me, man. Uh, uh, Diane, uh, Sarah Trigger, asks him, who would try to kill you? Who would want to kill you, Eddie? <laughs> and then he screams, the fucking hangers, as as if it were an answer to it, <laughs> as he throws a hanger. It's actually, it's just that he just, tried to hang his coat up and couldn't do it. He's just mad about a hanger. Uh, then he babbles. The, the, the closed caption just says babbling. Uh, then he notices a cigar. Uh, says, I didn't know you smoked cigars, babe, particularly this brand. I also don't know why there's a cigar in that room. Because uh, it, it suggests James Coburn, but he hasn't been there as far as I know. Uh, and then uh, Diane says, Eddie, it's not what you think. And then he says the following. Shut up. Shut the fuck up, man. Who you been fucking now, man? Then he does the poppers. The, the pug licking milk, then screams, mm-hmm. ah, I'm here, I'm here, ah, ah, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. He then throws his body onto the bed and flaps his limbs like a dying fish and <laughs> screams, yes. yeah, 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 no, 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 ah, 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 like perfect uniformity. <laughs> uh, you could probably auto-tune it into being a little ditty. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very rhythmic. And then, the, God, the musicality of actually that whole scene, but especially the last part, after he does the, like, am I a fucking retard? Uh, am I a fucking mm-hmm. retard, huh? He says, I know what this is. Lou tried to snuff me out because switches to falsetto of his crazy little nephew around switches to baritone. Well, vive la fucking France, man. Again. Yeah. Why? I don't know why. Why does France have to get involved? Fra- it's rock and nobody's roll. Nobody's French Viva in the France, movie. Man. Is he supposed to be French? That would make the like the accent coming off and on kind of make sense. But not yeah. even really. If I thought that what he was trying to do was a European accent, and then what happened was whatever this was, it would make me feel more comfortable than him just existing in this voice without any provocation or explanation. Because, like, mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta hear it to believe it. It just sounds... It sounds like a... Like an animal getting tortured, but with human-ish uh, nuances? I didn't know you smoke cigars, babe, particularly Louis Brand. Eddie, it's really not what you think. Shut up! Shut the fuck up, man! (laughs) 
How many times did you watch it? Because I watched it three times. I watched it about three times, and I had already seen it kind of a lot of times, <laughs> just via various montages and whatnot. It was all I knew about this movie going into it. I had mm-hmm. no idea what the plot was. I didn't even know what the genre was. I just knew that that scene happened, and I needed to see it like in yeah. context, which it it's, has none. It's all that. No, totally, totally useless. Uh, yeah. The... I love the two big reveals. So you go straight into his death scene from there. Uh, and his two big reveals are so weird. The That his deck of cards is entirely Jokers. Uh, yeah. don't I don't know. know. Like, the cards thing didn't even need to be in the movie. They bring up cards a lot, and then it doesn't really come into play ever. No, it, do- it advances the plot nil. Yeah. Uh, and that he's a bald guy wearing Vegas the wig. adjacent? I guess. I guess. Yeah. They uh, seem like they're in and out of Vegas. At one point, it looks like you see the circus circus clown in the background. So I don't know if they're going for like dingy outskirts of Vegas or if you're supposed to be in like Bakersfield, but it's unclear. It you're in a, you're in Vegas mostly would, in a dingy motel. It being in Vegas would make some sense, but they don't. Yeah. They, they do nothing to like sell that it's in Vegas, uh, except that there's a ton of weirdos. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> And the other real reveal is he's like a bald guy wearing a wig, uh, which... Uh, the best. At the end, when there's like, yeah, when Michael Bain and, and Nicolas Cage are like grappling, Nicolas Cage is trying to shove him in a boiling vat of oil, and then Michael Bain sp- is able to flip the script on him and pull his wig off, by the way, which is a scene that should happen in every Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> every time he's wearing a wig, there should be a big dramatic reveal at the end to let you know that they know that it looks like a wig. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the only uh, earned payoff satisfying. in the movie. Yeah. Absolutely that the only earned payoff. His, yeah. his death is truly grotesque. Like, it's body disgusting. horror grotesque yeah they melt they drown and melt his face in fry oil and you see his melted face it seems like maybe he's kind of still alive at the at that point yeah they don't they don't show him breathing but they but i mean he burned his face like that's a pretty slow and painful death most of the time i feel like he's still alive over there so so yeah he uh he dies and then like good James Coburn, who's still a con man, but like is has white hair, so you know he's good. Uh, he yeah. tells Michael Bain that Nick Cage was gonna bring in the mark to the new con, which is in this totally implausible movie, the most implausible part of it. Like, <laughs> w- how would that work? How do you send that guy to bring anybody in on anything? Like he's <laughs> anti magnetic. Anything, right? How yeah. would you know what he's saying? 
even just to communicate the message, if if you weren't able to convince him, at least try to let him understand. But no, Nicolas Cage's character is, he's like, either he has a dog brain or he has an injury or he's insufferably, like, deformed somehow in his larynx because whatever's <laughs> going on with that, you can't trust him to deliver a message. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, and then he's no longer in the movie and the movie does get so much harder to watch. It's just oh, so slow. It's just boring after that. Uh, despite the movie's best efforts to not be boring because they, they do crank up the weird but there's just nobody there to hold the weird together. Because uh, you get... And no energy left. No energy. No energy. You yeah. you get this weird black and white photo dream sequence that's like the lowest point of the movie for me because it's so useless. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like Michael Bain is kind of like dreaming, thinking back through photograph memories of his childhood with his dad, I guess. But And also, of course, that character dreams in black and white. And yeah. still photos. <laughs> yeah. That explains just, why he is the way he is. Well, he's just so flat. Uh, yeah. And then you, like, uh, then you jam forward to the con starts with Michael Bain losing a pool game to Charlie Sheen whose outfit is maybe the high point of the movie for me cuz yeah, he's, he's wearing uh he's wearing a glimmering alligator smoking jacket uh, mm-hmm. he's wearing this like he's got a crusty goatee and slicked back black hair yep he's got this, this nice van dyke he's wearing what can only be described as a single pervert glove and <laughs> yeah oh I forgot about that and he has the long Coke fingernail, uh, which yeah. is one of two sets of Coke fingernails that show up in rapid succession in this movie. Uh, and, like, his character appears to be this, like, weird, Cer- like, Cerberus uh, guard for... To, you have to, like, trick into letting him get back to, like, meet this Bond villain. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. It's, He's like the, the mini boss you have to meet before you get to the big boss. But you have to lose to him. You gotta conquer yeah, Charlie Sheen. Yeah, you gotta you gotta lose to Charlie Sheen because at the beginning of the scene, uh, Lou asks um, Michael Bain's character if he knows how to play pool, and he says, "Not very. I'm not very good." And he's like, "Ha perfect." Like, yeah, it's just the stakes are so low that like the conduit to like create the big con at the end of the movie is to just be sort of shitty at pool for a while. That's where we're at with this movie. Yes. Uh, And the, so he then goes into this like back room and meets this like crazy knockoff Bond villain who has like Christopher Lloyd uh, in Back to the Future hair and a Mm -hmm. fucking giant scissor hand. Like, (laughs) yeah. And I just want the audience to understand this. Like, one of his hands is a regular human flangey hand, and the <laughs> and the other is like a pair of garden shears yeah. molded onto his arm. That yeah, he what? How? How is that useful in a day to day life? 
it doesn't make sense that it would be useful. He's also not a henchman. Like, normally that kind of a thing is reserved for, like, the guy that does the dirty work, but he's clearly, like, kind of the boss, and he's the guy that sits in the leather chair while everyone else does his bidding. So why the fuck does that guy have gardening shear hands? Yeah, and then Michael, the, like, the con is for Michael Bain to get him to want to buy a bunch of diamonds, which is the exact reset of the old con with the Coke, uh, with the guy that eats the Coke pornographically. And so Michael Bain gives him a diamond to look at, and then he licks the diamond. Is that how all people being conned verify the veracity of the product they're being conned into? You got to lick the diamond. You got to jam two fingers into a baggie of cocaine. You got to really get a visceral experience with the contraband you're dealing with. You got to make sure that it comes into contact with a lot of saliva. Otherwise, you're not being a correct criminal. And then he has this henchwoman who also has the weird Coke fingernails behind him, all totally normal, except on each index finger, they're super long, like that woman that won the sprinting in the, like, 1996 Olympics. Oh, Flojo, yeah. Yeah, crazy (laughs) long. Uh, And then we're, all of a sudden, we're in the con. Like, the turnaround is maybe 12 hours from beginning yes. of con to culmination of con i i'm not a confidence man in real life but i think i think it takes longer than that because you do have to build the confidence right like there's yeah and i was looking at the end i was like how long until the end of the movie do we have another 40 minutes to set this up and i was like uh there's like 26 minutes left they were just trying to like okay guys okay guys we're running out of film stock and and the con only <laughs> takes another like eight minutes of that 26 minutes uh, or at least oh, yeah, the, ma- the con you know about. Uh, yes. And then they're they're driving to the con, and he's in the car with uh, with the Bond villain and a couple henchmen. And the Bond villain takes out money and fans himself with the money and says, wealth, power, God, they all have a distinct aroma, but none as sweet as death. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's, you want to, you want to smell that death. It's yeah. I it was written by Does this feel a little bit watching this movie does it feel like a movie written to be a high school play also written by high school students? Yes. A little bit. Although like, having having done that before, I think ours was more coherent. I'm not certain. No, I think you would yeah. You did a better job, but I'm just thinking, like, if you got a couple sophomores in a room together to try to approximate what they think, like, the seedy underbelly of society does, talks about, and craves from life, it's to smell death, to do cocaine, to stick their hands in cocaine, Mm -hmm. um, to roll around in the dark with a woman. (laughs) 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 To challenge guys to fuck. Uh, Yeah. The that the uh, just to the, yell the word fuck with reckless <laughs> abandon because your mom's not there to tell you no. <laughs> no parents. Uh, the that the scene in the car does feature what I think is my favorite part in the movie, which is there's a guy sitting next to the Bond villain, one of the henchmen, uh, who's making faces like he's making faces into a mirror the whole time, like like he's sort of. <laughs> pouting and then raising his eyebrows and then lowering his eyebrows and then looking side to side like he's sort of early Jim Carrey facial expressioning but like he has no dialogue he's there's there's no attachment to he what's going like, on on screen 
He looks like when you catch, like, when there's a person who has a baby over their shoulder standing in line in front of you, and you're trying to get a reaction out of the baby by doing Uh animated stuff with your face. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's to keep Michael Payne awake. He's doing his best. Yeah, exactly. These are all just little, like, life hacks to make sure that he stays conscious for every scene. Or at the very least, regains consciousness during every scene. Yeah. And and then... So the con falls apart. Uh, and Yeah, they're supposed to fake uh, the uncle's death, but then he actually gets shot. Yeah. So basically he beefs it twice in one movie trying to fake someone's death. And then a bunch of people die. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you... And then he like... So throughout the movie, Michael Bain has been seeing visions of his dead mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the dead mother like appears... After this shootout, and he follows the dead mother, and it's Sarah Trigger, his his you know, uh, slow sexual love interest, and yeah. and then uh, he removes her wig, and then the the lizard ponytail man and the gross coke man and the we thought dead dark James Coburn emerge and explain that it was mm-hmm. all one big con to get the money from the other con, but. Michelle, how is it supposed to work? How I don't Dar- understand why he didn't just ask him. Yeah. Like, this whole time, it's this guy's dad does this elaborate fakes-his-own-death thing, which, it's like a double fakes-his-own-death. He's His son's supposed to fake shoot him at the top of the movie, and then he supposedly gets real-life shot. He thinks he goes to his funeral. Turns out he was alive the whole time. And the whole point was to get the cake from his twin brother. Which is just, as they reveal later in the movie, just a cake-shaped box, little cake-shaped box that holds, like, a ruby ring in it Uh and a bunch of money. And the whole thing was set up so that he could basically rob his brother, which is fine. But his his son was already on his team. Why didn't he just ask him, will you help me grift my brother? And he probably would have been like, yeah, this is what we do. Right. <laughs> why con your own why con your own son so hard for so long and employ so many people to do it when it could have just been like a handshake and a nod? Why yeah, why why con your son into thinking that he murdered you? And I how did Dark James Coburn know about Light James Coburn's scheme? Like the whole thing point. revolves around knowing about Light James Coburn's con but yeah. they haven't they're not but, in communication with each other uh they've been estranged for it seems like decades plural yeah because they all fought over the same one there's only three women in the world and they fought yeah. over one of them and they've been estranged like fuck it. how did he know about the scheme the how do you know from who uh i don't know and and we then, have to mention that this all takes place on a carousel, by the way. Oh, yes. For, the, no, for no reason. Why? Where are they? I thought they were in a warehouse, and then suddenly they're on a moving operating carousel, and just a bag of money explodes all over the place, and, like, James Coburn in his greasy, like, Rudy Giuliani melting their <laughs> hair uh, just for men situation, and then... Uh, Michael Bain have this like really minimal standoff that only takes about 90 seconds where he basically like, are these blanks in this gun? 
Oh, something, something. Uh, tough guy line. Come with me, son. Let's go spend this money. And then he shoots his dad, who's definitely still alive, right? At the end of the movie. He shoots and him with blanks. Him in his... He shoots him with blanks. And then his dad is just collapsed on the ground for trying to retrieve his big satchel of money. And James and Michael Bain just walks away with some... I wish I wrote it down. It's like the most throwaway line, like... Most people don't pay attention to the strings that are being pulled in day-to-day life, but I walked away <laughs> from this series of snapshots, and then the movie just ends. Yep. It is... Like, am I... Did I miss something? The big I... showdown happens, like, almost as the credits are rolling. It's... Everything's inexplicable. Why does he turn the fucking carousel on in the first place. Like, there's a moment that Michael Bain makes the decision to turn around and turn on a carousel to confront his father. Yes. Yes. Who's not on the carousel. It's, yeah, I... They both kind of leap onto the carousel so that they can have this conversation about a big box of money. And then Michael Bain just sort of walks away from his very alive father, who I guess he's angry at or disowning or who knows because all he really says is like life is like a series of slides and something about walking away from this slide in his life as the carousel turns in the background and then it's just credits huh i don't know by the way peter fonda is tiny ponytail man no, that was Peter Fonda. That's Peter Fonda. Whoa. And the character's name is Pete. Like, there is no effort being put into this movie. Did everybody just owe each other favors? No work was done there. No work was done. <laughs> this is one of those deals where you're like, it really, really matters that the last name of this particular director was Coppola because he wrote it. He directed it. He got, like, Hollywood royalty to be in it. And then let Nicolas Cage just run around without a leash which fucking god love him and and this movie got made it got made for 10 million american dollars this he it had to be a birthday present had. it just had to be a birthday present yeah. to him from one of the other coppolas like oh yeah definitely oh, definitely a little a little nephew birthday present or some kind of favor owed because boy this movie was bad in so many different kinds of ways. Yes. Like, not one consistent, terrible tone, but really oscillating from, like, the most unhinged to the most boring, drab, like, I'm reading cue cards behind the camera line reads, and, ugh. Yeah. I just wish it had been more crazy Nick Cage, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, if a supercut of that is, exa- like, the exact same experience, but only, like, 40 minutes... Which is probably a better movie. Uh, yeah. Apparently, the, Val Kilmer. The tagline was supposed to this movie this? was the. Yes, Val Kilmer is supposed to be Michael Payne's part. That's just unacceptable. That would have been a better movie. That would have been a way better movie. Yeah. I would have watched I, that movie with a lot more gusto, because I feel like he would have brought anything at all to it. You know. Yeah. Early '90s was kind of his time. He could bring. Yeah. Who, yeah, no, he was, was, he was bringing real romance. stuff. Was that. Was uh, Val true Kilmer romance, in true yeah, romance? that's Val well, So he's in true romance, but he's only off screen. Uh, the. Uh, 
Who's the lady? True Romance, the main character is uh, Christian Slater. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but you're right. he plays, Val Kilmer plays Elvis off screen in uh, yes. True Romance. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I feel like he could have brought some, like, you know, True Romance Christian Slater energy to this project that Michael Bain was not willing to or able to bring. Is he okay? Has anyone checked on him? So I'm going to say not willing to because I'm looking at other stuff that Michael Bain has done. And I've, I've liked, so Michael Bain plays Johnny Ringo in Tombstone, which is like a great iconic character, very well performed. So, so this was like definitely doing this as a favor to one of the Coppolas and really mad about it. Like he was, he knows he owed them this favor, but, and they did the same year. He was in Tombstone the same fucking year oh as God. Deadfall. Did he just Whoa. exhaust himself wow. from playing Johnny Ringo and then, like, yeah. just fl- fall was, over himself performing this? That's was he, crazy. Was he moonlighting with this movie? Like, did he rap after a 12-hour shoot and then do a second 12-hour shoot? That is the like, only thing that makes sense. Was he getting no sleep? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because otherwise he really just, like, yeah, he... He phoned it in super hard. That's, oh, man. That's this bananas. Movie. Deadfall. Deadfall. Of all, I guess the title is because you're supposed to fake your own death, right? That's what Deadfall is. That is. Do you think that's an inside term? I don't know. They never really mention it, but. I guess. Uh, I started to watch when I first pressed play. I accidentally hit play on the 2012 movie with oh, uh, with Eric Bana, <laughs> with Eric Bana and like Olivia Wilde. I'm like, wait, this production value looks really high. Is this movie more recent than I thought? It seems like it might be good. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Let's try this again. <laughs> oh man, uh, uh, the- it's mercifully not like a two and a half hour long movie. That is the one thing I can say that it's got going in its favor. It is, that is kind. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, it it has some things that everybody should see before they die, which is all of Nicolas Cage and the man making facial expressions in the car. Uh, and, do, and two Nicolas yeah. Cage brothers. And right, so many Coppolas. Do you have any low points yeah. or high points that we didn't get into? Here. Not really. Mainly a lot of my low points were like the sex scene, the slowness, the pacing, the granny panties, the end, just a lot of the a lot of the hits, a lot of the things we definitely already covered. Mm-hmm. And as mm-hmm. far as highlights, I want to just say I think we already yeah, we already pretty much covered everything. I basically wanted this to be a love letter to Nicolas Cage's costume choices it and is, his acting choices. It is extraordinary. Uh, so the plot keywords for this movie uh, I'll just read the 13 of them. Con artist? Yeah. Twins? Mm-hmm. Sure. Dying wish? Yes. Sure. Billiards? Okay. Pistol? Okay. <laughs> Uncle-nephew relationship? Uh, <laughs> sex scene? Sure. Greed? Yes. Yes. Male rear nudity? <laughs> Female nudity? Patricide? Independent film mm-hmm. and con trick, which is not what that's called. It's definitely uh, not called a con trick, but that should have been the tagline. 
Because <laughs> it's what it does trick. to the viewers at the end. Okay. Wow. Uh, parents' Guide. Uh, sex and nudity. Moderate, but the descriptions are... There is a graphic, full-on sex scene. Yes. Uh, <laughs> full-on is the only way to describe what just happened to me. I guess. But, like, half off, also. Uh, Nick, Ugh, Nicholas Cage... God, but for a movie... In, in the sex and nudity section... Nicholas Cage humps a bed in frantic rage. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not that that's not what he's doing, but the fact that they thought that part needed a disclaimer is just, yeah, oh, God bless the it's internet. Not, it's like the least sexual I mean, part of the movie. He's a fully clothed man having what basically amounts to like a, a three-year-old's temper tantrum. So yeah, I it's guess a we can call that humping. It's a grown mantrum. Uh, vi- violence and gore. Uh, a man attacks another man in a strip club, punching him several times before throwing him down, kicking him, and then karate chopping him. Yes, accurate. A man attacks <laughs> yes. uh-huh. another man in an alley, but he stabs the attacker in the leg and slams his head in the door a few times before splitting his throat with a knife. Graphic. Yes. Two men fight in a kitchen, mm-hmm. and one dunks the other's head in a deep fryer, killing him. His face is horribly and graphically burned. Yes, accurate. Final one, there's yep, a shootout. Period. End of sentence, end of description. It's <laughs> all you need. It's all you need. It's all you need. Oh, uh, man. If, uh, so if you got to pick a character in this bad boy, who are you going with? Oh, god damn. I think, I think Charlie Sheen... If only Good to job. have the alligator skin jacket. Yep. I mean, his life you? seems pretty good. He just gets to beat people at pool all day and look like he looks. Yeah, I it could be like a lot worse. I like the vibe that the baby has cultivated. Mm-hmm. I like that he's created a he's created a vibe where he's got kind of he's got an entourage. He's a large man wearing nothing but a black leather jacket. And he's just being fed lollipops throughout the day. That's not a bad life. And it's also a really funny intimidation technique. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, just like, I like his choices. I like his whole... It's, it's a little bit better than the movie he's in. I feel like it could have been like drawn out to be a little bit more fun. He, he might get a spinoff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would watch the baby movie. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely... I, I'll stick with Charlie Sheen because I really like the jacket. But the baby is definitely having the best life and, like, sacrificing the least of everybody. He's also borrowing small amounts of money from low-level con men to, you know, no real issue. Like, he must have needed the 1500 bucks to just camp on it for so long and not pay it back. But, you know, it's not an extravagant life, but it seems to make him pretty happy. Oh, you've got to look. You just saw something. So the guy that co-wrote this movie with Christopher Coppola is uh-huh. an Oscar-winning screenwriter for what? The Green Book. Because of fucking oh, course no. he is. Oh, no. <laughs> That's amazing. 
This movie actually has a lot of Oscar power. It's got Nicolas Cage. It's got uh, James Coburn, who won an Oscar in the 90s for or early 2000s for something. Um, <laughs> for Afflicted. And okay. then, yep, and then Peter Fonda, who got at least nominated. I don't know if he ever won anything. And then a fucking Oscar winning later in life, um, real crappy screenwriter. Right, who did not deserve it. Oh, Let's be clear, movie. who did not deserve it. But they gave Couldn't him an Oscar. Deserved it. Yeah, he made a Disney movie, basically. Um, but yeah, I mean... Yeah. Oh my god, the it's other just... movies this guy wrote in the 90s. Oh my god, the descriptions of them. We have to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> so, he followed up this movie. This was the mm-hmm. uh, this was the first movie that he co-wrote. Uh, okay. His second movie is A Brilliant Disguise. And the description... Uh, That's the name? It's called A Brilliant Disguise? A Brilliant Disguise. And the first sentence of this movie makes me want to jump out a fucking window. Michelle is one part sexual nymph, one part man-hating psycho, one part 12-year-old child. <laughs> Whoa! No, 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 oh, no. no. They really Absolutely buried the lead not. in that summary, though. Absolutely not. Why was this allowed? Oh, my God. Well, I guess I know what my intro is for the duration of our podcast now. Oh, my I can... God. Ugh. I'm, That's I'm very disgusting. I'm so unsettled. Okay. Okay. Uh, his next movie... Uh, wait, this might be the movie that followed after. So, he made a movie in 1997... Uh, Okay, all right. The next movie yeah, he made in 1995 is In the Kingdom of the Blind, The Man with One Eye is King, which is a very long name for a movie. Uh, the description. <laughs> That's the name of the entire movie? Yes, the description. <laughs> Al is hired by an acquaintance who happens to be the local mob boss to track down his own brother, who's wanted by the mafia for the murder of an important gangster figure. <laughs> no, no. Yes, You can't yes. just reheat old leftovers. <laughs> Two years later! Two Two years years later! later. Uh, Followed up by Choker. Oh no, Choker he made in 2005. Sorry. Followed up by The Corporate Ladder. Oh man. Uh, The Corporate Ladder is a Playboy Channel movie filled with pseudo-erotica and some beautiful women. Oh, that makes the most sense. They gave this man a fucking Oscar ten years later. I'm so angry. They did. They did. They did do it. He must have a lot of dirt on a lot of Hollywood people. Is he a secret Coppola? How is this possible? I don't know. Uh, oh, God. And All right. I don't know either. His other movie, Choker, 2005. A serial killer is let loose to hunt down and kill alien beings who can only survive by inhabiting human bodies. Why do they let him make movies? This, this set of That's... movies is despicable. Nothing's worse than uh, a brilliant a brilliant disguise, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> what is it? It's Michelle is part nymph, part... I'll, I'll read it again. Speech? I'm not going to like it. Uh, <laughs> Michelle is one part sexual nymph, 
one part man-hating psycho uh-huh. and one part 12-year-old yeah. child. Ooh, that last one, though. It's it's terrible. I hope it's metaphorical. I hope it's metaphorical. Uh, yeah, how do you get... How do you cast that movie? Uh, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to do anything with that movie. Someone saw the script and said yes. He's also... that right now. This guy is in... He also plays a character in Deadfall. He's... Uh, He's the guy who asks Michael Bain to not date the waitress that asks Michael Bain if he comes here often. He's like that oh. pudgy pizza man. Uh, okay. I hate him. So he did a little Hitchcocky and cameo because he was feeling extremely uh, big for those britches. I guess. Dang it. <laughs> this movie. Oh, man. The thing is, like, okay, I hated it because it's very bad. But I'm really happy I've seen it. And I almost would advise other people to go see it. Because if you really just want to get, like, you can stop after the first hour. The ending isn't important, and it's just going to piss you off and be really boring. But the first hour of Nicolas Cage performance, like, that's a solid 60 minutes. That's a solid 60 minutes of some of the best work that he's put out there. I don't know if he would even regret it, because, like, we all know what Nick Cage is about. This seems like the closest to an embarrassing movie that he's made that he might kind of feel like he want, who he would want to bury, but also it's, it's, it's our boy. It's our, it's our Nicholas it's, man. Yeah, he's I mean, a it's... a lot of pride around these things. It's a bad performance, but it is... I mean, it's... It's something that will live, they'll stand the test of time of being, like, extraordinarily memorable. I'm sorry, I have one more thing I have to say about... Uh, Nick uh, Valalonga, the the co-writer of this. Tell me. Disturbance, a.k.a. Choker, uh, was the, that was the movie about the serial killer that kills uh-huh. alien Murdering the pod aliens. people? Yep. Is the winner of the 2006 George Zucco Award for Best DVD Release of 2006, presented by Edgar <laughs> Allan Polfolks.tripod.com. Which <laughs> there's so much going on with that award, but it's for the best DVD release. Why is everything this guy does like four run-on sentences together? Even awards that he receives is from Edgar Allan Poe folks dot tripod dot com <laughs> dot geocities dot net. <laughs> no way. Unbelievable. I, mean, I hope he got some kind of plaque or trophy for that one, because that's pretty high accolade. Unbelievable. The fact that that even gets listed under his like filmography and awards is heartbreaking mm-hmm. and hilarious. Mm-hmm. God damn. Love it. Incredible. This is one of those, like, you'll never work in this town again kind of movies, except that it absolutely clearly So that is. everybody went on to <laughs> remarkable success, except for most of the fucking Coppolas. Like, this was the... Yeah. This is, like, the high point of a couple of Coppola careers. Yeah, because, like, Christopher Coppola went on to direct, or, or had previously directed, I forget which way it went, but just, like, some kind of... some really B-movie horror thrillers. And then as... I understand the other Coppola that makes a little cameo is just a radio DJ living in San Diego. So, like... Seems like he did okay. This might have been it. Seems like he's probably eked out a good little existence. Um, yeah. 
but a certain Coppola. I mean, maybe it's like, it's a blessing and a curse to use that last name, eh? I guess, yeah. People sort of maybe assume that the terrible movies the right you make idea. are weird. <laughs> uh, well, this has been a treat. Yeah, this is... This is... Glad I got to finally experience this film. And it was, it was worse than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's it's an extraordinarily bad movie. Mm-hmm. I I hate it, but yeah, kind of like it. Yeah, not not watchable, but also extremely watchable in little short intervals, like the ten minutes at a time that you get um, enraged screaming and just the word "fuck" over and over. It's it's worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, yeah. Well, I think. I think we've covered the whole movie and everything interesting there is to say about it. I think so. And uh, thus concludes our three-part Jolly Old St. Nicholas series. We hope that everyone's had a a cozy and safe holiday season. And want to bring this... Want to bring this... uh, Nicholas Cage humping a bed, screaming fuck energy into the new year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As everybody should. Uh, and thank you to Nicolas Cage for just being willing to put it all out there, even when it performs, delivers such a fucking stinker as this. I, You have to respect it. And he's actively shooting multiple things right now, as I understand. So he continues to just be a working man's actor. He is turning out the hits and he is earning his keep. Well, he's turning out something. Uh, it's something. I saw it, so that doesn't mean anything, because it's like, I, I'm i king of the garbage pile at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, until next time, uh, I'll be Henry. I'll continue to be Michelle. And, you know, experiment and fast forward into the future of acting. <laughs> <laughs>